Welcome to the Seven Figure Summit Podcast. I'm Scott Bywater, the founder and CEO of Copywriting That Sells. We help entrepreneurs leverage their email list, websites, funnels, and ads to get high quality leads via strategic copy written in your brand's voice. Just go to copywritingthatsells.com.au to see some of our success stories. Also, don't forget the Seven Figure Summit is always looking for guests. Simply visit podcast.copywritingthatsells.com.au to apply. Hey, so welcome to another edition of the Seven Figure Summit, where we dive into seven figure entrepreneurs and find out about how their journey and about their journey and and how they got to where they are today. And uh, I'm very excited uh, to be interviewing Glenn Kulos. And Glenn is the co-founder, vice president, and general manager uh, of Gap Wireless Inc., a leading product and service distributor for the mobile broadband and wireless markets. And with over three decades of experience in sales, he spent thousands of hours in the field or on the phone with customers and working with salespeople to help create very successful companies. Um, so, yeah, so, so great, to, great to be here, Glenn. Really, really excited to, uh, to be interviewing you. Yeah, thanks, Scott. It's great to be here. Thank you. Yeah, no, um, and and so this podcast is all about, I guess, that journey from, you know, to becoming that, that seven-figure company. Can you right. take me back to the beginning of of your journey uh, when you were at the, I guess, the bottom of the mountain looking up? What was, yeah, and just tell me more about that. Well, I thought you meant seven figure paycheck, but uh, but either way, either 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 are good, right? But uh, yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah. seven figure paycheck. That's that's absolutely fine. Yeah, that's yeah, a, yeah. Um, have achieved and probably better than a seven figure uh, company. Yeah, so yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, yeah. So Gap Wireless. So just to just to put some uh, um, you know modern uh, twist on it or whatever. Uh, our name ended up changing recently because I did a sell the business last year, right? And um, I've stayed on, and so the, you know my roles expanded, but not really changed that much. I'm just part of a bigger company, and but ultimately I was responsible for sort of the brand change as well, where the three companies that, that were bought all came together under a common brand. And, uh, and so um, I was the co-founder of Gap Wireless, ran it for 15 years, then we sold it. And now we're NWS and uh, which is a North American company, um, you know, bigger, bigger company now. And and two other companies were brought together. To, so uh, that's how I ended up. That's how I ended up as NWS. And, um, and so I've gone from the black and red of the gap wireless to the blue and purple of, uh, of NWS logos and did, did all that brand change. It was actually quite a fun process and, uh, you know, it was quite interesting, but was your, you asked me a question, I think about gap though, and I'm happy to talk about it now. I just wanted to make sure everyone understood, uh, in case the word NWS comes up or something like that. But what was your your first question? Okay. Just to... so, so, so I guess if you can take it back to the, because you you obviously achieved a lot of success throughout your throughout your career. If you can take me take me back just to the, you know, when you're at the bottom of the mountain. Oh sure, okay, where, yeah, where, where yes. So I actually I had two company. I've had two companies. Both were 50, sold at around fifteen years. Um, because I'm that old <laughs> and, uh, hard to believe, but, uh, you know, used to be the youngest in the room. Now you're the oldest in the room and, uh, yeah. happens to the best of us. Right. And, um, uh, yeah. And so, um, I was actually worked for the federal government. I was a public servant. I did electronic, uh, uh, maintenance, 
on equipment and uh my boss said dude you gotta you you can't work here you're just not the right you're not the right mentality for the government you gotta go and uh i mean i i, I can't really remember what ran through my head but he said go get a job in sales right and so i took him at his word and i went and i got a job in sales and uh i was you know in my mid-20s and um you know, I was driving these shitty government cars, pardon my language, but, um, you know, driving around to all these weather stations in Canada, fixing all this electronic stuff and, you know, staying in budget hotels, driving lousy cars with no air conditioning and crank windows. And, you know, my first interview, I got picked up in a BMW 750 by the owner of this sales company, right, to go to this meeting. And uh, and I think, yeah, I really need a job in sales, right? <laughs> and this was in the 80s. And um so they ended up hiring me and I worked for them for five years and uh, on the sort of cusp of turning 30, just before I turned 30, you know, I really wanted, I had this like burning thing. I wanted to be an entrepreneur, um, you know, and I wanted to say, I wanted to say I did it before I was 30, right? I wanted to do it at 29. So I, I was like, and this opportunity came along where I saw um, a change in the technology of the, we were, I was selling high-tech stuff, like high-tech industrial electronics, right? I fixed them and now I was selling them. And so I, you know, I approached the owner and I said, hey, I'd like to spin off a slight little small piece of your business focused on this newfangled technology and, um, you know, create a new company. You can own some, I'll own some. And, you know, and um, he goes, that'll never work. He said, you just keep your job. And so I ended up quitting the next day. And uh, I didn't, he wanted me to give him a plan and all this other stuff. I'm like, I'm not writing you a plan for that. Like, and I actually just up and quit the next day and started the business. And the newfangled technology that I started the first company on was the cell phone. And of course it never went anywhere, right? Like who needs a cell phone? And um, you know, they're, 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 they're not very popular these days. Right. So this was in the, in 1991. Right. And I mean, cell phones were around in 91, but they weren't that popular. And they were, you know, in a giant bag or they were bolted to your car and, you know, that kind of a thing. Right. And so, um, yeah, so I went from being a salesman of, of electronic stuff to uh, an owner of a company selling electronic equipment. And um, that was really the the key to, you know, that's where the leverage begins when you go from being um, employee to owner. Right. Because. When you're when you're an employee, I mean, you know, you could be a salesman, but you're only going to get paid commission on your quota. Right. And, you know, whatever, like I cover Toronto, I cover Boston, I cover New York, whatever my territory is. Right. Whatever my quota, my territory, that's what I get paid on. Jack, who covers the other city, he gets paid on his stuff. Right. And he has a good year. I have a bad year. I had a bad year. He had a good year. There's nothing I can do. Right. The owner's getting paid on both. Right. I mean, the math is simple. And we say, well, just you just become the manager. Then you got managed, get paid on you, Glenn, and you get paid on Jack as well. Right. And I'm like, yeah, but what about Bob's division? He's doing fiber optics and I'm doing wireless. Right. Fiber's, you know, killing it. Wireless is, you know, doing poorly right now. You know, so again, the owner gets paid on wireless and fiber. Right. Like you can't, you cannot. You know, you can't break it down any further than the owner, right? Like that's the where that's the prime number. That's the divisible, lowest divisible number or whatever is one, right? Where he gets paid on everything. And and so um yeah, and so 
the that was that's where the real key to uh you know that i realized and i saw that in the owners right in the sense that i could see that we were all making nice money working as salespeople. We were well paid. We had good benefits and you know expenses and all this stuff and car car allowances and um. But I realized like I could never meet. I could never leverage it the way they did because there was twelve sales guys and I'm one. I, I mean, and they were getting a bigger chunk of me than I was getting of me, right? I mean, yeah, I had a finite base salary, but after that, you know, once you've paid for yourself or whatever, then the ratio looks like you know you know, uh, X amount to me and X plus it, that amount to the owners. Right. And so I realized I have to become an owner and, and I want to, and I want to work in a model where I get paid on every dollar, dollar in dollar out. If it, and, and, and so even if it's a small amount, right. I don't want to say, Oh, I'm only going to get paid on these deals that are more lucrative or whatever. No, take a small amount on everything. And every time we ship a dollar, I get paid a penny or whatever. You know what I mean? I'm just hypothetically, right? And so, um, I, you know, we ran a company. I had, a, I had two partners. We ran that company for 15 years and we sold that company. And, um, you know, it, it, it's not all like rainbows and sunshine in terms of one's career or life, right? It doesn't work that way. And so, uh, you know, I, it was actually the biggest categorical mistake of my life when I sold that business because I sold it into a public company, a public company bought it and they gave me millions of dollars of shares, right? And they gave me very little cash. And I went from, you know, I was this unsophisticated dude, you know, salesman who created a company, we're peddling, we were making good money doing and running the sales company and whatever. And when I sold the business, you know, I went to this multimillionaire in shares and I was an insider of a public company because of my share of the amount of shares I had, I couldn't sell them. And in the time that, you know, I could even think about contemplate selling portions of the shares, they'd suck the company dry of all of its cash, all of its credit, and they ended up starving us out and they ended up closing down our division. And ultimately they bankrupted their own company and the shares went to zero. And so I basically gave away my company for free at the end of the day, minus a sports car right? Which I got enough money to buy a little sports car. And then the rest of it was millions of dollars of shares. And so I had to start over and it was about, I could, and so it was like, well, what are your choices? Well, I can go and work for another owner who's getting paid on everyone, or I can just start another company. And so that's what I did. I went across the street and I started with my initials GP. I added a vowel, a started with the first vowel in the alphabet gap, 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 Gap Wireless, boom, 10 minutes later, I was in business, started a company. And 15 years later, myself and my partner, we sold it, you know, for uh, a very nice eight-figure exit, all cash, uh, except 15 wow. years later. And that that's how I got here. Yeah, wow. Wow. That's um that's 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 huge. That's huge. Yeah. And and what was the because that's I find it's it's never a straight line right and you 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 explained no. that when you saw that that first experience uh, with where you thought you were a multimillionaire and you ended up getting getting nothing yeah what was your big learning like if someone's listened to this what would you what would your your advice be to them that you really got out of that. Yeah, that is so the the biggest mistake I made there was that you know they all drove drove really expensive cars 
and uh, you know like even a notch above cars where i do you know um you know like to me you know nice cars are like a mercedes or a bmw or whatever these guys are driving aston martins and you know things like that right and so um that you need to do as much due diligence on the people buying you as they're going to do on your company, right? Which because due diligence is uh, is quite a it's quite a, a busy ordeal to go through. Um, you know, when you get bought, they look at everything, right, to make sure all the taxes are paid, all the documents are there, all of your everything you say is true. Uh, they ask you to verify those things that are true, and there ends up being hundreds and hundreds of undertakings in order to sell the business, right? You know, you say you sold a million dollars to XYZ Corp. Okay, show me the purchase order from that company. Okay, boom. All right, show me where you bought those goods to sell to them. Okay, I bought them from there. Show me where you paid that company for those goods. Okay. Um, all right, show me the, you know, show me that invoice from the company that, you know, to verifying the margins, right? There's where I bought the goods for, let's say, $750,000. There's the invoice to the customer for 1.1 million. There's the 400 grand of gross margin, you know, proving all of that in the sale. They make you do all that, right? And we just looked at their Bugatti and their Aston Martin and said, oh, well, they must be great people. You know what I mean? Like, we just didn't do any due diligence. And they had a, sub, a few divisions that were, they were a public company and they had sort of public facing divisions that we knew their names and they were, they're not household names, but in the wireless industry, they were household names, right? Like we knew them like the back of our hand. And we thought like, I mean, these guys, this is, you know, died and went to heaven, millions of dollars of shares, uh, you know, nothing going nowhere, but up, I mean, and so, but, but I think if we had to peel back the onion, a few layers and gotten better counsel ourselves, we might've, we may have actually, picked a different deal or, or held off for someone else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, ab ab absolutely. Absolutely. And what, what do you think it was that was unique about your mindset, your skill set that has enabled you to build and sell? Well, you've sold two, one successfully, one unsuccessfully, but you've sold two, two sort of large businesses. What, what was it in your mindset and the way you approach things that allowed you to do that while, so many try and try so many try and fail well first of all i think a lot of people jump straight to fail right like they don't actually try right and um because people that try and fail like they don't actually try and fail they try fail and stop right because i tried failed i tried and then i failed but i didn't stop right i just kept doing the same thing and and then and so the real key points are the first step and the step back when you fall, right? Getting back up. Those are the key steps. That's all you need to do. The rest of it will figure itself out, right? It's like, oh, well, I mean, what would I do? I got to start a business and how am I going to pay my employees and blah, 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 whatever. And I'm like, no, the only thing you need to do is figure out how to quit. Like you just have to start because the fear of poverty and failure will drive everything else after that. Like, I mean, yes, you need a plan of sorts and whatever, you know, obviously, I mean, and I was young and, you know, kind of naive when I did it, but I mean, uh, it was an expanding, you know, te uh, market, telecom market at the time. And and so, I mean, I was out selling and it was easy to, you know, go and sell some things and make enough money to keep get going. And it just got bigger and bigger over time. Right. But, but what I'm saying is a lot of people, they just like, you know, do all this mental gymnastics and they never quit their job. They never start or they want, you know, how am I going to like make sure I still get four weeks off because I love going to the cottage every summer and, you know, like, well, maybe you're not going to be doing that in the first year. Right. And, um, you know, 
but you'll have a much bigger cottage in a few years, right? And so it's all about the starting, the first step, and we are we will fall for sure and get back up. That's the you know, don't make decisions that can break your company. Don't make any one financial decision which can break your company. That's another key lesson, right? Like don't take a piece of credit that would put you under if the deal went down, regardless of what you think of the deal or whatever. You know, it all, everything has to survive, you know, sort of that test of no one thing could break the company. You know, for instance, if you have a customer that's too large, you need to go get another customer. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, ab absolutely. That, that whole risk, risk management uh, aspect of it is as yeah. well. And, and and one thing you talk about in your book, I know your book never sit in the lobby, is this whole thing of greed based learning. Can you right? Can you, can you tell us? Can you sort of yeah? On so that? so the it's just a little trick, right? Like all the things in the book are little tricks in order to like, you know, uh, before I talk about GBL greed based learning, I just wanted to like give you another one just to set the stage, right? Which is like. A sales guy will say to me, like, oh, I say, like, go visit them, right? And they're like, oh, well, I'm not really sure what, you know, what to do. I said, just show up with something in your hand and something in your mind. You know, and, and like, like, it's always that simple for me, right? Like, if I, if, if there's something about a customer that I need to engage with them or whatever, I just figure out a way that I'm going to go visit them. And they're like, well, what are you going to do when you get there, right? I go, well, I'm going to show up with something in my hand to give to them when I walk in the door. And I'm going to have something in my mind that I want to talk to them about, right? So we've got this new product, you've got this new product line, you've got this new division, this new warehouse, this new facility, this new production line, this new, you know, system, this new whatever. Um, and and I've got this, you know, uh, you know, coffee mugs that we're giving out. So I'm going to bring you a couple coffee mugs. You know, if it's before 1030 in the morning, I'm going to show up with a box of donuts and hand that all to you in the lobby. And then I'm going to say, look, can I get five minutes? I just want to go over, you know, uh, go over your new building, your new this, your new that, whatever, you know, just try to engage them. I was just something in my hand and something in my mind, right? And so greed-based learning is like when you're selling technology from across the planet to a customers in, you know, North America or whatever, how do you learn 40 vendors' products that each vendor has 10, 12 products? That's 500 products. How do you learn them, right? Like you need to be like a savant. Right. And I'm not, trust me, I'm not. Right. But yeah. what I learned was that. And so I always have to give analogies. So people, it clicks right away. Right. Is like one thing I'm not, even though I always give examples about cars or whatever, I'm actually not a car guy. Right. Like I really, I'm not your like dual overhead carbs and the da, 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 exhaust and 500 horsepower. Like I don't know any of that stuff. Right. But every four years I get a new car. Right. And I, when I got to go home and explain to the wife why I'm spending categorically more money every time on a car, why am I an expert on the four cars that I went to look at that, that, that year, you know, and because I'm so greedy about the, about the knowledge and the fact that I'm getting one of these cars that my brain absorbs the facts without any, without any um, effort. It's the same thing as watching a football game when you have five bucks on it. Versus watching a football game when you don't have five bucks on it, right? And wh why is that, right? Like your ability to take in the game is amplified by the five bucks because it's greed-based learning, right? And so what I'm trying to say is like, don't try to learn all 500 products. Just learn the product of the moment 
where that you have a financial interest in, right? You're, you're, you know, you're talking to a customer. He's asked you about, you know, XYZ analyzer, something like that. Like, I mean, we sell instruments and products and things like that. So, you know, the products don't really matter. It could be a software item. It could be a hardware item. It could be a service, but, you know, just learn the, you know, as you, as you're leading up to that, realize, Hey, you know, this is a million dollar deal. I could make, you know, 50 K in commission guess plus hit my bonus plus this plus that whatever. All I got to learn is the top five things to keep this conversation going and learn where I need to bring in the application engineer and the product specialist if I'm going to fall down. Right. And so, and I'm just saying it just works. It, 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 you know, when you have a, a financial incentive to know something, a true financial incentive in the moment, it's a lot easier to remember it than trying to remember it today for something you're going to might sell in a year from now. Right. And, and so that's how I use greed-based learning. And I just gave it a funny name so I could explain the concept to people. And um, and that's what it is. So it's, it's as simple as that. I, I, I like it. Well, it's it's very it's very outcome-based, right? And, and when, yeah. when you mentioned earlier about you take something in your hand, like so if someone's wanting to get into the front door with a, with a big client or something, as an example, you mentioned you take something in your hand and you've got you've got something to say. What's an example of like let's say you are approaching your ideal client tomorrow? What would you have in your hand and what would you say to them to to get in that front door? Well, those are there's three things actually, because there's the you show up with something in your hand and something in your mind every time, right? You always have something in your hand and you always have something on your mind, but you may have actually used a different technique to get in the front door. I'm not actually literally kicking in the lobby doors anymore and yes. trying to get the VP of finance or VP of manufacturing to come downstairs and talk to me, right? Although there were times, you know, when I was younger where there were smaller customers, I would just walk in and say, hey, I'm in the area I'm calling on your customers down the street or whatever is the purchasing, you know, blah, blah, blah. Can I talk to them? And um, and the, but, but I mean, what I will do is I'll use a series of different methodologies to basically get them on the phone to, so that I can pre-alert them that I'm coming, right? And so, and oftentimes, you know, of course, nowadays the customers know the company, what I sell, or they know me or whatever, and they just don't, maybe don't have an immediate need for what I'm doing. And I'm trying to hype, engage and make sure I'm not missing out or something like that. So, you know, what I would say is something along the lines of, look, and this is a great one to use, especially, you know, uh, I'm, you know, I'm going to be in your building tomorrow. I'm visiting Jack. I have to drop something off. I wonder if I could get 10 minutes with you in the lobby. He's, oh, I'm really busy. I said, oh, can you just meet me in the lobby for a few minutes? Sure. Okay. No problem. And then I have a coffee mug or a mouse pad or pen or, you know, whatever we're giving away that, uh, you know, that period of time. Or maybe he said, you know what? I was interested in your, you know, that low end such and such for you. Can you bring me the price on that? And so, okay, no problem. Let me drop off a quote. You know, you go to the lobby and the the lady says, is he expecting you? And we're like, well, yeah, he asked me to drop off this quote. And I'm like, okay. So she calls him up. And a lot of, because sometimes on the phone, they say, just drop it off in the lobby. I'm too busy to see you, right? And by the time you get there on Thursday, he forgot that he told you that. And so you just call and say, either you call from the lobby or the, or the receptionist calls and says, hey, Glenn's in the lobby. You know, he says you're expecting him. And he's like, oh, yeah, Glenn said he was coming with that, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he comes down anyways. You forgot that he said he was too busy. 
You hand him his mouse pad or his coffee mug, give him the quote, you flip it open and you say, look, I just was curious, you know, have a quick look. What do you think of this number? You know, does it seem like it's in the ballpark? And then the moment, you know, I'm engaging him on that, I say, look, I know you're going to be setting this up in your new warehouse. Can I get a mini tour of the warehouse, the new location? And, and, and so, because I need to get past the door, right? And yep. that's where the magic occurs. And so I say, you know, can I get a mini tour? And everyone's like, what's a mini tour? It's a tour that's mini. It doesn't take four hours. You don't have to get on a bus with 40 other people. You know, it's just a quick tour around the, the, the new building, right? And again, I have all these other rules. Don't forget your, don't never forget a face and things like that. So as I'm walking to the new warehouse with Jack, who doesn't really know me, I've been in the car remembering all the people that I know by looking up their profiles on LinkedIn. So I know their face because I haven't been there in a year or two years. And I'm like, hey, Sally, Jack, Bob, Sam, George, Ringo, you know, whatever, right? I remember all these people because I re-remembered them before I even came to the building with something in my hand and something in my mind, you know, et cetera. I'll ask for the mini tour. I'm on the mini tour. Never forget a face, all the people. I get there on the way. I'm realizing that, yeah, I brought them coffee mugs, but on every desk, you know, there's a new, you know, Yeti mug or something from my biggest competitor, right? Or there's new brand spanking new mouse pads, or everyone's wearing a t-shirt from my competitor. That's even the worst, right? And so you're never going to see that from the lobby, right? And um, you know, and you get the tour, you get to see around, and you get to see 19 other things. You realize you can sell them by looking around. You don't do it on the spot, but you follow up with them later. You're on the way out the door. You said, "Oh, by the way, I noticed that you know, you know, you've got chips in the. You know, I'm just making this up, right? But you know, you got chips in the end of your benches on your warehouse or whatever. You know, we've got that new chip guard system. I'm I'm back next week. I've got a thing I got to drop off to Sally. You know, when we bumped into her in the hallway, can I drop off another brochure to you? You know, on the chip guard. No, that's not me. That's that's Bill. So I called Bill. Bill, I was in Jack. Jack said, you got to check out this chip guard technology. I'm in the building next week. I want to drop off. Oh, I'm too busy to see you. All right, let me drop it off in the lobby for you. Okay, just drop it in the lobby. Of course, I show up in the lobby. He forgot that he told me he was busy. And, and that's how I run the whole world. And I'm constantly, I'm there. And I already have three meetings for the next time to go into that same customer before I've even left. So I don't have to do any prospecting later, right? It's, it's avoiding that that prospecting and and from yeah. from a um, which is which is very powerful. Um, yeah, so th thanks for sharing that. From a from a marketing perspective, the is there anything that you do in particular on the from a marketing angle? Like, do you use email marketing uh, for example? Yes, we use HubSpot nowadays. We use HubSpot and all that stuff, and we're highly tightly integrated with our web and our e-commerce and all that. We have all the advanced tools and tricks, but I didn't always have that stuff. And I mean, nowadays it's like a gift from God, all that stuff, but that isn't what made me successful. It's the application of these small disciplines on top, right? So. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All of the, all of the small disciplines just, one after the other and and so on and i love the way you yeah. talk about not having to not having to prospect um, exactly yeah is, is so powerful and moving yourself out of that yeah that cold follow-up sort yeah. of i guess position which lacks authority into a more authoritative type of um exactly. yeah, type of position so now that's uh that's great and tell me you mentioned the the wsp in your book what what's that so that's the winning sales presence, which is basically 
you know, it's the opposite of how most salespeople act. And, and so the, uh, to me, it's akin to, um, you know, when uh, the example I often give is, you know, when you walk by or somewhere and you see a gorgeous woman or whatever, no one needs to tell you that she's gorgeous. Right. And she looks good. You know, it could be a gorgeous man too. Right. I mean, I'm not trying to be sexist here. I'm just saying like when, when you see a really good looking person, they're attractive. You can't help but you, you just, wow, that person is really attractive. And did, did they come up to you and say, excuse me, sir, um, could I get you to rate me on my attractiveness on a scale of one to 10? No, they just walked by you and didn't even know you existed, right? But mm -hmm. you were just naturally attracted to them because they're being naturally attractive, right? And so sales guys, girls, everybody, you know, again, not trying to be sexist about this. They act all braggadocious. Oh, my thing's the biggest, best, uh, you know, 20% cheaper, faster, bigger, wider, deeper, 20% cheaper. And they're, they're, they're bragging about their products. Oh, you better get this before we run out. And, and that's not attractive. And attraction's not a choice, right? So I challenge everyone to find in, in every product and service that you offer, find out what is innately attractive about the product that's irresistible from its own sense. You know what I mean? Like maybe, you know, you know, maybe you run a, a, a payroll software system and whatever, and it processes the taxes faster than anyone's ever done it. Right. And so you don't, you know, you don't, like, oh, you know, I want to like show you a bunch of uh, this, that, and the other thing or whatever. You basically show them a video of, of watching the guy doing the taxes, hitting a, you know, run tax and the guy's got his feet up on his desk and, you know, and then a minute later, it says ding and the taxes are done, right? Or something like that, right? I'm just trying to cover different because I'm always selling equipment, right? But show your equipment in its best light where the customer can't argue with you that that's freaking amazing, right? And yeah. how do I get that? You know what I mean? I've never seen an instrument do that anything that quick. I've never seen anything run so smoothly or so quickly or so much storage or, you know, it all depends on what you're selling. Right. But there's always a way, right. And in, in the book, I use all these examples like tow motors and, you know, like forklifts and things like that. And, and, um, but it doesn't really matter what, what you're selling. They, they, you know, and, and I say, and then we say, well, what if you're not selling the most attractive like tow motor on the market? I said, well, that's my rule 17, right? If you're number three or four in the market, quit, get a new job as soon as possible because no one's going to, you can't repeat today. Once today's gone, it's gone. And if you're selling number three or four brand, you're going to be fighting over 4% of the business because 80% of the business is going to the number one brand. 80% of the rest of the business is going to the number two brand. And 80% of the rest is going to brands three and four. That's 4%. So get a new job. If you're, if you, if you're committed to selling, sell the best. You know what I mean? Like, and if you, you know, if you're selling cars, you know, I mean, I, and again, I'm not a expert on selling cars or whatever, but I'm saying like sell Mercedes, you know what I mean? Like kind of thing. Like you don't want to be selling an off brand of, you know, a discount, this or that. Cause again, you know, you need to value your time. You can't replace it. And so I'm always selling the best. And even if I have the number two brand, the moment I realize that my brand's not right for that role, I quit immediately. And I move to the next customer. That's where my rule I'm all, I'd rather be last than second, right? Because it takes just as much time to come in second minus a millimeter that it does to come in first, right? But you still lost. You're just the first loser, right? The guy who came in last 
right? He's already actually run off to the next customer and he's actually, he's getting a deal that you don't even know about because you're too busy closing that deal. And so that's why the moment I realized that I'm not going to get the deal, I quietly expect, re remove all effort. I don't fly people in from the factory. I don't do wine and dine them. I don't take them golfing. I don't try to convince them or whatever. When I know unequivocally I'm not the right solution, they're not going to buy me for whatever reason they have or whatever reason I know. I'm not saying I give up on, um, you know, uh, like too early, but the moment I know that I'm not getting the deal, that's when I stop working. And I go yeah. and find the next customer while their eyes off the ball, right? How do you and know? You just know. You yeah. just know. Like, yeah. you just know because it's just always a, a set of telltales that are there. Like, they're not phoning you back. They're not asking for pricing. You know, they're not responding to this, that, or the other thing. They're like, oh, well, we might, you know, need some more time and we're not really sure. And, you know, when people are buying things, you know, they're hyper engaged, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the book, I give all sorts of stories about like calling the CEO to buy a tow motor. And he's like, what the hell are you calling me for? I don't buy tow motors. You know, that's the executive vice president of of, menu, of uh, shipping and receiving is in charge of that. I'm like, oh, okay. And so I call him and I said, oh, I was just talking to the CEO and he told me I needed to get a hold of you right away to go over my new tow motor. I'm the EVP of freight and logistics. I don't get involved with tow motors. Like, oh, who should I be talking to? He says, oh, the vice president of logistics is Jack. You should give him a call, right? And I'm like, so I called Jack. He said, Jack, I've been on the phone all day with the CEO and the EVP, man. They get, telling me you got to get these tow motors in for you to look at. And he goes, no, I don't, I'm not involved with that. Like that's, that's the uh, senior director of logistics, you know, in the, and, you know, so I call the senior director of logistics and I say, you're not going to believe it. I've been on the phone with Jack, the, you know, the director, the VP, the CEO, you know, he's like, no, my warehouse manager handles all tow motor uh, companies or whatever. Like, okay, so call the manager. And so now then I've talked to the CEO, the EVP, the VP, the director, the manager. Now I'm in the warehouse manager and the manager's like, no, the supervisors deal with all that. Call him. So I call him. And now I've talked to every single person in the stack. I bring in the tow motor, right? I know I got the best one. I got the WSP, right? I can turn on a dime. I can give you a nickel change battery operated last 20% longer, anything on the market, lower operating costs. And then the guy, you know, and while they're looking at the WSP, which they can't avoid because it is innately attractive, like a pretty woman in a gorgeous dress. Right. I call the CEO and I say, you know, you got to come down. I said, look, it's a $120,000 machine. There's no way you're not signing off on this, Bob. I know you got to sign off on it. The guys down here are loving this so much. You have to see this thing in action. This thing can turn on tighter than you've ever seen in your warehouse. You're going to save so much money. Before you know it, the CEO walks down and he's standing there beside the warehouse supervisor watching the thing and whatever. And now I know I can call anywhere in that stack of people, whoever's going to sign the PO, right? He says, no, it's not me signing the PO. It all goes through the EVP. Whatever he says goes, Glenn. So now I know, and I've already talked to him and I've talked to his boss and all of his underlings. And at any point I can talk to any one of those people and that's how I do it. Right. Yeah. Nice. Nice. And, and so if someone's listened to this and let's say they're running a six figure business or maybe they're a, they're an employee and they haven't even, haven't even started on their road to, uh, to, to business, what would your advice be if you were to leave, if you were to leave our listeners with one piece of advice on how they go from where they are to really climbing that seven figure summit? Well, two things. One, I already explained it, which is 
it's really about the first step. Just take the courage to have that first step, do whatever it takes to make the first step. And you will be surprised at how much uh, encouragement your and momentum your own psyche will provide you. You know what I mean? Like once you're engaged, you're going to, you're, you're all in. Right. And um, it's like skydiving and I want you to jump out of that plane. Like you got to do whatever is required to land on the ground safely. Right. You're not like, you're not going to be like, Oh no, I'd like to go back up to the plane now. Right. So <laughs> just take that leap and, and get in there. Right. But that, but so I already, but I already, I already said all that. Right. But, um, but the other rule I love to share at the end is always like for especially younger people, you only get forever to make another impression, right? And so they're like, wait a minute, that's not, no, my mom says it differently. She says, you got to make a great first impression. And I'm like, yeah, exactly. And I said, and I want you to treat every impression that you make with your customers and your bosses for the rest of your life as if it's the first impression, every impression, every impression you want to show them that you are the best possible solution, employee, solution, whatever it is to their problem uh, that they've ever seen. Don't ever be loafing when you're at work. Loafed at home. You know what I mean? Don't be on your social media when you're at work and your boss is walking around, right? When you're at a trade show and all the divisions are there from all over the country doing this thing, don't be sitting down in the booth. Be in the, be in the aisle grabbing people in. And when the aisles are empty, Go and ask the bosses to, to walk them through their particular stuff and show them why I should be excited about it. Show me the WSP and this new service you're here to show us. What is it? Give me the, show me the WSP, man. Show it to me. Right. And they're going to walk away and say, oh, my God, that guy, Glenn, it's show. He's unbelievable. He never sat down. He was there early. He stayed late. He was pulling people off the floor. And when he wasn't on the floor pulling people in, he was driving us crazy, finding out about the next generation technology. He said, that's a keeper. And then when they, when it comes to picking that next guy to take on the big customer, they go, give it to Glenn. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. The forever first impression. It's a, it's a, it's a total mindset shift in it terms is. of, yeah. yeah, even if you've known someone for like, 10, 15, 20, 25 years, this yeah. is my first impression. I'll be there on time. Yeah. I'll be sharp. I'll be paying attention. Um, yeah, that's 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 amazing. You can even apply it to your marriage or your or yeah. your yeah, all of that sort of thing. That's that's super, super powerful. And and Glenn, thanks so much for your time today. It has been super valuable. Like some of the yeah, the takeaways. I mean, that was that was a big aha uh, for me, which I haven't heard any heard before. And I love the way I love your, I guess, anti-prospecting approach um, in terms of getting in the front door and and that sort of thing. And just uh, the journey you've been through is quite uh, quite incredible. And just getting up after yeah, losing everything yeah. after thinking you're a millionaire. That's that's uh, yeah, it's a it's a hard punch to take, but you got back yeah. up and you and you read redid it again. If if someone's listening to this and they want to get in touch with you, whether it's to buy your book, never sit in the lobby, or to reach out to you for consulting, how how do how do they actually do that? Yeah, so the best way is go to my website, glenpoulis.com, and uh, if they just have a quick question or whatever, they can contact me on LinkedIn as well. I'm very active on LinkedIn, but all the, all the links are on my website and links to the book and ways to contact me. There's some, uh, you know, free bulletins there and documents and stuff that I give away. And yeah, happy to chat with anybody. 
Yeah, yeah. No, th- so thank, thanks so much for your time, Glenn, and uh, yeah. look forward thanks, to Scott. chatting again yeah. soon. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. Scott Bywater here, and thank you for listening to the Seven Figure Summit podcast. If you're a successful seven-figure entrepreneur who'd like to share your journey on this podcast, please visit podcast.copywritingthatsells.com.au. If you got something out of this interview, I'd love it if you could share this episode on social media. Likewise, if you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them to let them know about the show and include the hashtag Seven Figure Summit. There's nothing I love more than seeing your posts and guest suggestions. Now, we're regularly putting out new episodes of content, so to make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to my team and I. If you'd like to connect, go to copywritingthatsells.com.au or follow me on LinkedIn or Instagram under Scott Bywater. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.